Welcome to Beyond the Show, a podcast series that takes the spirit of Cannabis Conference and brings it to the airwaves. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Conference and Cannabis Business Times. As the wave of cannabis legalization continues across the U.S., it can be easy to overlook the eventual transition from medical only to an adult use market. Every state that has gone wreck, as they say, was first a medical only marketplace, which means that many of those extant businesses had to find their footing in not one, but two distinct regulatory spaces. I spoke with Jocelyn Sheltraw, Director of Industry Relations at Headset, to learn more about that transition. Jocelyn was a speaker at Cannabis Conference 2021, where she addressed the evolution of the recreational cannabis brand. And that's a key word, evolution. That's what we're talking about here, vis-a-vis the differences between medical and rec, the long-term dynamics of the market. These things are not necessarily set in stone, they're evolving. But it helps to look at how things have changed so far to find out where they may be headed. At Headset, Jocelyn is responsible for internal and external strategies to build Headset's brand awareness, community development, and market expansion across North America. Jocelyn is a vocal cannabis advocate and industry thought leader involved in various cannabis associations, committees, social equity programs, as well as a regular speaker at various industry events, podcasts, and webinars. So please enjoy my conversation with Jocelyn Sheltraw. Well, Jocelyn, thanks so much for joining the show this week. Very excited to dig into some headset data uh, so quickly on the heels of Cannabis Conference, but also, uh, you know, this this theme of transitioning from medical to adult use markets is something that we see more or less every time we turn around in the industry these days. There's lots of examples, and I know in the report that Headset put out, Michigan and Illinois are very much in the foreground, uh, although Oregon and Colorado and, and certainly other states, too, make plenty of appearances. So maybe just to sort of set the stage, uh, and we can certainly link to the report uh, when we put this episode out for the the listeners, what were some of the main questions that you and the headset team were hoping to answer? Well, first, let me start by just kind of explaining where we get the data from, because this is Mm -hmm. a really important part as we're kind of going through the data. And I think just kind of what we do at Headset makes Hopefully everyone will understand a little bit more, but um, yeah, Headset's a, you know, cannabis data and analytics company. And what we're doing is we're, we've built a piece of software for the dispensary that they use in addition to their point of sale data. And what it does is it pulls in all that point of sale data for them, gives them actionable visualizations and reports that they're using for inventory management. And then what we're doing on the back end is we're taking all of that aggregated data and once we get to statistically sound enough sample size of data in a market, Um, then we're able to do a full read of that market by forecasting all that data up. And because we're directly hooked in with the point of sale systems, all of this data that I'm going to be speaking to, everything we're pulling in real time. And then again, we're forecasting that up. So it's a very solid read for the market. There's no data that's going to be perfect, right? There's a lot of room for error that happens at the point of sale when information is being put in. Um, so I just kind of want to give that as little as a little disclaimer. Um, and then at headset, because we're, you know, obviously analyzing all this data, we're very we generally just report on the numbers. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna speak to a little bit of my personal experience working across so many different markets. You know, we're reporting on 14 different markets. So I'll try to pull in as much of that kind of anecdotal in-market experience um, as much as possible. 
but to answer your original question, so the reason that we wanted to look at medical and recreational markets um, is because things are moving so quickly in cannabis and we're seeing so many more uh, markets come online. And so with, you know, New York, New Jersey, Montana coming online, you know, within the next year, I think it's really important that we understand, you know, how did other states um, move from a medical market to a recreational market? And then what happens to consumer trends so that these newer states can predict what's going to happen there? Um, so that was the original kind of, you know, uh, interest. We got a lot of interest, obviously, from people coming to us and asking us these questions. And that generally feeds a lot of the, the industry reports. And, yeah, so and that's, it seems like, interest. yeah, and sort of one of the big early takeaways was simply um, the fact that once we flip over into that adult use space, the growth happens very quickly and, uh, yes. you know, sort of uh, balloons. And obviously you're, you're bringing in a bunch of new consumers who weren't legal consumers, you know, a few weeks prior, or a few months prior. So just the demand yeah. obviously goes up. Um, but what else can businesses take away from, from that big spike that inevitably happens after adult use? Are there certain ways that businesses might best prepare for that if they know that a spike is coming like that? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it, it, I would initially say it starts with kind of understanding the baseline of these trends and what we're seeing. So let's just talk about Michigan and Illinois for a moment, because mm -hmm. these are two of the markets that we explored in this report. Um, and the reason for that is because these two markets came online a little bit later, their transitions were fairly speedy going from medical to recreational. So as what I was thinking about is I was, um, you know, as I've been working in these markets, doing a little bit more research on these markets. So these markets have been pretty similar in terms of how much sales they're actually doing at this point. They both are doing exceeding, you know, hundred million monthly at this point, but let's just take a step back and think about because every market is so different when it comes online and the nuances of that market. So when we think about Michigan, right? So Michigan is a state of what, 10 million people at this point. Um, it's really got, you know, two bordering states in Michigan. It's got Indiana, it's got Ohio um, and Michigan's landscape. There's 260 rec stores, 410 medical stores. Um, but anyone who's been in, in cannabis for a while, Michigan has been one of those states that has had a very deep cannabis culture. There's a big cannabis community in Michigan. Um, I think high times uh, when Michigan first went medical, um, in 2008, they had a cannabis cup going out there. So it's really ingrained in the culture in Michigan. Um, so I think there's less destigmatization that probably needed to happen in Michigan, a very, very strong medical market. And then when we look at Illinois, Illinois is a state of about 13 million people. Um, rec sales began in January of 2020 for them. They got the, their medical program off the ground in January of 2014. And Illinois is interesting because Illinois has five bordering states and three of those states don't have any, any medical program at this point. Um, so, you know, uh, Missouri or Wisconsin, Indiana, Kentucky, no programs there. So what's been happening in Illinois is Illinois, um, the state released some data that 30% of the sales in Illinois are coming from travelers, out-of-state travelers. Okay. So this is just a baseline when we're thinking about how different these markets are. And then when we were looking at, okay, well, what happened in these markets when they first launched a recreational program, what we saw was that Illinois in um, January of 2020, uh, their medical sales went from about uh, 23 million in January of 2020 to just over 31 million in July of 2021. So that's about a 35% increase in sales um, in the medical sales, right? 
Now, when we're thinking about, okay, what did they do in terms of recreational sales? Um, when they launched in, in January of 2020, they went from, I think, uh, $30 million. And then that went all the way up. Let me get these numbers exact accurate for you. Um, that then went up to over $100 million by July of 2021. Okay. So like a year and a half difference. Um, so that's, so what that's saying is, you know, we're seeing exceptional growth as soon as you go from a medical to recreational market. And then around the same thing for Illinois. So we're st- Illinois also same exceptional growth. It, it's pretty standard at this point when transitioning from a medical to recreational market. Um, but I wanted to get like a, looking at all of those different dynamics of that market um, can tell you a lot about and by dynamics. I mean, what is that culture like in that state? Is cannabis already destigmatized to some capacity because they've had a lengthy medical program going on? All of those things are then going to affect the how much growth rates you're going to see, and then how that medical program is then you know implemented or, or impl- not just implemented, um, but just what are the dynamics of that medical program is going to then affect sales. So as New Jersey is going online, as New York's going online, as Montana is going online and building out the program, they have a lot of different things to think about when it comes to the licensing structure. Are they going to have their retail licenses? Automatically, are they just going to give licenses to the medical, existing medical license holders? Are they going to open up new licensing? All of these things are going to make a difference in how much the state is doing in sales and what those growth rates are going to be. Yeah, I think, you know, the licensing side of it is obviously super interesting because it it leads into the sales conversation. And I know that, again, each state sort of handles this differently. Uh, Illinois is is sort of doing what it can to uh, successfully get through uh, another round of licensing here on the, on the retail side. Um, and other states have different ways of, of getting more retail licenses out there. But I'm curious, as that growth accelerates so quickly in those early, early stages, especially, do you see any uh, bottlenecks or are there any um, sort of licensing supply chain issues that materialize in dispensaries, meaning low supply, uh, lower basket sizes, things like that. Um, Cause I've got to imagine if, if you're seeing all these customers and all these stores are opening, you've got to make sure the growers are, are ready to roll as well. Do you see any sort of mismatches mm-hmm. or uh, supply chain dynamics early on? There's, there can definitely be some supply chain um, shortages when a state is first going online. Like I think about when Arizona, so Arizona is really interesting to watch because Arizona also had a really strong medical program. Um, and so Arizona moved so fast when they moved to recreational, right? They voted in November and then come J- end of January, they were already doing recreational sales. I don't, I think that's the fastest state to come online. Um, and it's when I was talking to a lot of producers out there, they, this is exactly what they were mentioning. They were hoarding product or kind of holding on to product um, in preparation for recreational sales because they were anticipating so many supply shortages. Um, and I think a lot of producers or a lot of retailers did see that happen. And so I think, you know, in one of your earlier questions, like what should other states prepare for? That is something that you may want to think about, um, especially depending on kind of what the existing medical program is, how many cultivation licenses, how many, you know, how many manufacturing licenses currently exist. And are you going to anticipate those supply shortages? Yes, that's probably something that you're going to want to prepare for. Um, and then the, the other interesting thing we, that we kind of touch on this report is like basket sizes are what, what are people purchasing? How much are they purchasing once the state moves into recreational? Um, and the thing I think that retailers should anticipate at that point 
uh, and moving to rec is we saw a decrease in basket size for sure. Medical consumers are generally purchasing more products. Um, and so even though the, the, the price of those products is the same, there's virtually no difference in the price of a product that you're going to pay on the medical market and, and the recreational market. Um, but there's a lot of differences that happen between a what products are available, THC limits in the medical versus recreational market. And so generally what we see is that the average basket size is significantly higher in medical than it is for a recreational customer. Um, and so you probably don't want that to surprise you if you're a retailer thinking that you're going to have that same basket size from your customer. You're going to see that be decreased, um, though you're probably going to see that customer making a lot more trips into the store. Sure. And uh, I do want to work my way toward the medical side of this, but, but sticking with the, the early stages of adult use, um, I think the, the basket size topic and just the basket contents are, are super interesting here. Um, I know a lot of the report gets into product categories, and I know one of the prevailing themes anecdotally, but also in statistics, is that flour does sort of rule the day, especially early on. Um, could you talk a bit about the product category dynamics and and where flour sits in that uh, pool of, uh, you know, it seems like there's more and more product categories coming online as, as time goes on yeah. and as uh, innovation, you know, charts its course, but um, flour is still sort of in the middle of that, right? Yeah, you know, in every market, flour is going to be the predominant category of sales. So that's always going to be, you know, that, that highest um, category. Generally, it'll sit anywhere from, you know, 30% to mid 40% of sales in the state. Um, though it has been interesting because flour sales have been declining in several markets um, over the last year. So, uh, but in terms of medical and recreational, yeah, you're going to see it's, it's a similar category spread as well. Um, people purchase in general, like the, the, the trends there is it's, they're purchasing the same types of products in general. There's a couple outliers. Um, we saw concentrates. So concentrates in, on the medical market had higher basket penetration than we saw in the recreational market. Um, and that makes sense when you think about concentrates, right? Like concentrates is a very pure form of cannabis. It's a very high THC level in cannabis. So people with very, you know, serious issues are using concentrates. Um, so we do see that. Um, and then on the recreational side, we see edibles and pre-rolls are going to be more predominant there. And that also makes sense, right? Because those are very social form factors and ways of consuming. Um, so those, those were really the main outliers and category differences, um, there, everything else was pretty standard. We saw some, some differences, um, with vape cartridges, uh, in Oregon, for example, we saw flour was much more predominant there. Um, and then you get out to a newer market like Illinois and we saw vape pens were, um, had a, a higher market share on the medical side. Um, and this is again, where it's, it's really, I think the States, um, culture when it comes to cannabis, how destigmatized cannabis is. When we think about a market like Oregon that has, you know, had a solid medical program, has been recreational, one of the oldest states, you know, to, um, to be recreational, flour has always been that. This was before we started having all this product innovation. Um, so flour really just from a, a cultural standpoint, this is really the norm. It's already destigmatized. People are very used to using flour, you know, for any medical ailment. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And this is where as newer markets come online, um, what sometimes can be overlooked by, you know, any policymakers or people, you know, that are going to be applying for a license. Um, it, it, it comes down to understanding that the cannabis community in that state, because it really does make a difference. And we'll start to see that through these consumer trends. Yeah. And, you know, it, 
one of the more interesting uh, charts in this report sort of compares Michigan and Illinois, and then there's Oregon and Colorado on the other side, and it's the um, proportional cannabis sales between medical and adult use. And in Michigan and Illinois, of course, you see adult use sales going up proportionally, medical use sales going down. And then in those more legacy markets like Oregon and Colorado, um, the adult use line is sort of just straight across the top, you know, a high proportion of sales and medical is straight across at the bottom. And obviously the takeaway is that medical didn't drop to zero as, as the report gets into, um, which I think is an interesting conversation, whether or not a, me- a medical market in the strict regulatory sense of the term will continue in this industry. And so um, just curious what you and the team made of that, the fact that ultimately, even in these older markets, medical sales or medical sales are still uh, buzzing along. Um is that something yeah. that dispensaries are going to want to keep in mind as as time goes on? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a, a big question that we had from people is, "Hey, are medical sales going to be just come irrelevant?" Um, and that's that's not at all the case. So when we're looking at you know Oregon and Colorado, for example, you know markets that have had a recreational program since you know early two thousand or mid two thousands. Um, we see it in, in the data that that's not in fact the case. So in Oregon, the medical market is much smaller. In Oregon, the medical market is making up between eight and 10% of sales. Colorado, it's closer to 20%. And so it's never going to be irrelevant because when you think about why someone is consuming medical cannabis and you look at the rules, you know, with medical cannabis, there's, there's obviously some benefits. And so we're never, because people are using this to treat, you know, if you look at the state websites, it's classified as a debilitating issue to get a medical license. Um, it's a lot harder to get a medical license these days, right? And this is why the recreational side we, is going to be significantly higher. Um, we're going to see every state, it's going to be anywhere from probably 10 to 20% of sales are going to go to medical sales. Um, and there's, again, there's there's benefits with obviously that, that medical license holder. The taxes is the biggest challenge, right? And this is, um, the taxes are just incredibly high. And so when you're paying an, uh, you know, a 6% excise tax plus an additional 10 to 20% tax, that's going to make a big, big difference for a medical customer. So we're never going to see medical sales be you know, down to zero uh, because of that. And then the other piece of it is a medical customer is going to need a much higher THC limit. And this is where we see differences in policy. Um, and so, for example, um, in Washington, you know, on the medical side for an edible, you can have up to 50 million milligrams um, per bite, you know, per per piece um, versus on the recreational side, it's going to be at 10 milligrams. So you'll see a 500 milligram total package for an edible versus a 100 milligram total package. These are very important distinctions. Um, Obviously, that debilitating, um, you know, issue that the medical consumer is dealing with. These if you if you go to the website, and you look up what are those issues, these are very serious ailments that people are, you know, struggling with, and you don't see things on there at this point, anymore, anxiety, those issues are going to be addressed more on the recreational market. You see a lot of producers actually kind of using that language in there to talk about, you know, being used for less debilitating issues. Um, But in general, what we're going to see is that, you you know, 10 to 20% of people are going to be purchasing on the medical side because of those challenges, um, and then receiving that, you know, tax benefit. You mentioned the the different kinds of marketing around things like anxiety, and I know we see sleep out there or even um, depression. I know some of that gets into a bit of clinical terminology, but but this has become a big marketing force. 
does that play back into the uh, the product categories conversation we were having earlier about different category or different categories making up larger portions of adult use baskets? Because um, those a lot of those marketing messages tend to be around concentrates or even vape products. Is that something that you're seeing more and more? Yeah, you know, a lot of producers. Um, I think because cannabis is so new and it's still being destigmatized. Um, People are not, people are learning how to use it and they're learning what form factors are going to help with whatever it is that they're wanting to kind of treat. And so on the recreational side, yes, you know, this is a huge way that brands are communicating that message and marketing themselves. So we see a lot of effect-based marketing, you know, using this for sleep, using this for anxiety, using this for energy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that's something that, you know, I'm, I'm sure that that, you know, brings in that medical or someone who's wanting to use it for, you know, some capacity outside of an inebriation effect, um, then that certainly is going to draw in that quote unquote medical consumer into the recreational side to kind of try, you know, that product and then hopefully have some alleviation with whatever it is that you're wanting to, to treat without it having to be a medical condition. Again, mm-hmm. like with with a medical consumer, um, the the requirements to get a medical license. I mean, it really does need to be. It's it's quoted as a debilitating issue, um, and I'm I, you know I'm sure the state is doing that for several reasons, but I think I'd imagine a big part of that is because of the tax structure, you know, not having some states, you don't have any tax um, outside of just the general sales tax of that state for that product. And this is making a huge difference, you know, when you're seeing some markets upwards of 30% in cannabis, you know, a cannabis tax, when you're purchasing a $70 concentrate, that's going to get very pricey. And that's not necessarily attainable. That's not accessible to everyone on the medical side when you're using this for a debilitating um, issue. So yeah, Yes, on the recreational side, um, then you see a lot of brands that are helping people with very common ailments that we all struggle with, you know, getting a good night's sleep, dealing with anxiety. Um, this has been very common. Some producers, um, I see a lot of, you know, based in California, there's a lot of legacy kind of brands out here um, that some of them will struggle with that. And they, they don't, um, they're less interested in that effects-based marketing um, because they tend to be some people that are very interested in the plant and looking more so at terpenes, um, which is going to be the next evolution that we're going to get into as an industry. It's not just going to be at a sativa or, you know, a hybrid. We're going to start really, and a lot of brands are doing this, a lot of flower cultivators are beginning to do this, um, really explaining the terpenes and what's actually in that, you know, product and what ailment that is is going to be treating. And so that's kind of the where we're headed now, um, which is, I think, wonderful to see. Yeah, I think that's a a really exciting trend, something that a lot of folks talk about, and it's exciting to see it sort of being put into action, uh, especially in those markets you mentioned. Um, I want to sort of just look ahead. I know that uh, you mentioned uh, headsets uh, forecasting capabilities, and obviously um, you guys have put out a bunch of fantastic reports. We're really, we're talking about this medical adult use nexus here, but looking ahead through, through the winter into next year, what are some trends that you in particular may be watching or researching at the moment? Terpenes may be one of them, but what are some things that you're really keeping an eye on over the next few months? Yeah, on the category side, I mean, this is a big question because um, this is a very challenging, you know, industry to navigate. Every state or province has its own nuances and what products are available. And we do see some interesting things happening based off of kind of, um, I should say, ability to have a solid retail distribution plan. 
Um, so from a, when we're looking at the next two years, a lot of producers are coming to us and saying, Hey, are we going to see beverages, for example, finally take off? Is this the year of beverages? Um, but you know what, for the next two years, all of the categories that, you know, uh, we're, we're tracking, there's not going to be any massive difference in a shift in a higher percentage of sales. Everything is going to remain fairly stable as it is now. And I think a lot of this, like I'm using beverages as an example, beverages make up, you know, in every market between one to 2% of the overall sales in that market. Um, but we see a lot of media coverage around beverages because beverages are really exciting for can of curious consumers, new consumers that are coming into the market. I think a lot of them view this form factor as a little bit more safe, a little bit more consistent of an experience. You know what you're going to get out of it. Um, and so we see a lot of this media attention around beverages and a lot of these uh, market leading brands that have really come out and built these beautiful products. But um, in actuality, what we're going to see on the sales side is there's not going to be a huge difference in overall sales, um, meaning, meaning percentage of sales in the market um, for different categories. There's, there's going to be a few small things. You know, I think uh, we're anticipating concentrate sales. We're going to decline slightly. We're still going to see some, you know, growth in these categories. But in general, it's going to be about what we're seeing right now. Flour is going to be the predominant, you know, category of sales, vape, cartridges. Um, then we generally see, uh, you know, kind of an even split of edibles and pre-rolls after that. But all of them are going to kind of remain as it is. Um, and I think a lot of this is just because, you know, it's just it's it's very challenging to build a cannabis brand in any category. And with each state having its own nuances on licensing, um, with each state having its own uh, cultural acceptance around those products, um, with each state having dynamics on the retail side, um, I think all of this, because it is um, a rather tumultuous market to navigate, you, I think we're just going to see a little bit of kind of going with the, 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 the norm and not changing anything too much because there's not a lot of room for uh, future thinking uh, at this point because you're just kind of adapting to so many different dynamics to build a cannabis company. I mean, producers are hit with challenge after challenge after challenge um, in building a brand, whether it's policies changing, whether it's things like on the West Coast, you're struggling with fires, which are going to have an impact on, you know, how much flour is available in the market. You see some markets with an oversupply of flour. So there's so many of these nuances that I think we're going to continue to see kind of as it is right now um, for our immediate future. And then after that, after the next years, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely um, some real big swings coming at some point down the line. I know it's hard. Uh, it's really impossible to ignore whatever political winds are coming out of D.C. Um, all that remains to be seen, I guess. But certainly exciting times in the in the cannabis industry. And uh, Jocelyn, it's great to talk to you today. Great to have you out at the show uh, a few weeks back, I guess uh, more than a month ago at this point, um, but always good to catch up on a lot of these trends because um, they're certainly not going away. And it's nice to see them in chart form and just uh, sort of in, in a nice summary form, because I guess from state to state, it differs a lot to your point, um, but there are some, some real core takeaways. So uh, definitely, I think this was super helpful for the listeners today. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jocelyn Sheltra of Headset. Again, she was a speaker at Cannabis Conference 2021. 
uh, back in late August out in Las Vegas. She was speaking there about the evolution of the recreational cannabis brand. But we did have a session on this topic, that sort of transition from a medical market to an adult use market. We had Wanda James from Simply Pure and Lilac Mazor Power from the Giving Tree Dispensary. It's out in Colorado and Arizona, respectively, speaking on that panel. So it's certainly some territory that we've been covering this year at Cannabis Business Times, Cannabis Dispensary, at Cannabis Conference, of course. And there's a lot to get into. We have more and more states coming online, some in a medical sense, some flipping over to adult use, and none of that's going to be slowing down anytime soon. So we'll be covering these topics in many different platforms over the next few months and well into 2022 where we will continue to go well beyond the show.